I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. You know, if you know me personally, you know that I'm kind of obsessed with voting. I talk about it all the time because I really believe that access to the ballot is the key to getting us out of this whole mess. And frankly, nothing makes me angrier than thinking about all of the voter suppression efforts that have taken place over the past few years, especially voter ID laws, which essentially amount to a poll tax. So that's why I was so excited to find the organization Spread the Vote. And today's guest, Kat Calvin, founded Spread the Vote in order to fight the voter ID laws by directly helping people get their IDs. And this approach to fighting voter suppression is unique, which is why I love it. And believe it or not, for many people, getting an ID is incredibly difficult and it's incredibly expensive. So I hope this conversation is as eye-opening for you as it was for me. Without further ado, here is Kat Calvin. Kat Calvin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. So you said you started Spread the Vote after seeing the results of elections without the full protection of the Voting Rights Act. I think what you're referring to is Shelby County versus Holder. And a lot of people don't know what that case was. It's a Supreme Court case from, I think, 2013. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about Shelby County versus Holder? Uh, if I must, it's deeply depressing. <laughs> um, so uh, as as your listeners either do know or everybody get on the Google right now, pause this, go to Google, Google uh, <laughs> Voting Rights Act uh, and Civil Rights Act uh, and, you know, then turn this back on and listen to the rest. People <laughs> fought very hard uh, for the Voting Rights Act. I, I mean, you know, historically, your listeners probably know America, like most countries, like ancient Rome, you had to be like landed white gentry to be able to vote for a while. And then eventually after slavery and like much fighting, they were the 13th Amendment passed and they're like, yeah, all right, black men can vote, but not really. <laughs> but we'll like say you can on the Constitution. And then a lot more fighting and a lot more deaths. And then they were like, okay, white women can vote, but not black women um, or other people. Uh, and then um, there were decades of fighting because all over the country, and this is something that South Korea for a lot, but all over the country, Blacks weren't allowed to actually vote at the polls. And then this is where sort of Jim Crow comes into play. And, and there were poll taxes and, you know, literacy tests and all of these different things um, that people had to pass in order to be able to vote. My grandmother has told me about, you know, remembering seeing her parents counting the change on the counter that they saved in a jar so that they could afford to vote. Uh, it was a very real thing. <laughs> So then after the civil rights movement, after the march on Selma, after a lot of different hard battles, both on the ground, legislatively, in the White House all over, there are now like a million movies on this, we got a Voting Rights Act. And I'm in not just the act, but actual teeth to um, (laughs) to actually put into practice to make sure that people could vote, all people, all Americans, all over the country. And it, it, it was incredible. And there were a lot of different provisions, the most important of which was called Section 5. And basically what it said was that certain states, and I want to say 12 states, I might be lying to you. Uh, it's been a long time since law school. Uh, but there are states that had traditionally had problems with discriminatory voting laws, Georgia, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, etc. They had to, whenever they wanted 
to change a law that had to do with voting, it had to be under review. And then the attorney general, I would be able to say yes or no or whatever. And so that prevented a lot of different <laughs> discriminatory laws from being passed because the Department of Justice would be like, you're, you're insane. Like, obviously, you can't do that. That's clearly racist. Um, and <laughs> one of the things that many states had tried to get passed was voter ID laws. And the TOJ said, no, like, obviously, no, you can't do this. Go home. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but then Shelby County, Alabama, sued. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, led by Chief Justice Roberts, decided, you know what? We have a Black president now, so racism is over, obviously. Uh, and we no longer need to have these protective laws because racism's over. Like, yay, Black president, there'll never be racism again. Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, they're never, ever going to have any more racist electoral policies because Black president. Uh, so... <laughs> So, well. they struck, so they struck down Section 5, that very important section, the real teeth of the Voting Rights Act. And we're like, Psh, cool, we're good. Solved racism. Let's move on to the next <laughs> thing. Um, and of course, racism is not over. And literally, literally within hours of that decision coming down, the state of Texas started working on passing their voter ID law. And I'm not kidding what I mean, like within hours. It was like two right. hours. Right. Um, and then states all across the country started passing voter ID laws. This is where we got a lot of much um, more strict gerrymandering because the states that didn't have to have that reviewed anymore and just like a lot of different things or a lot of different policies that they had wanted to put in place but were barred by the DOJ they now were able to do. So now we have 34 states that have some sort of voter ID law, meaning you have to show some sort of identification to vote, maybe a utility bill or a W-2 or, you know, tax return, whatever. And 20 states uh, where you have to show specific types of government issued photo ID, which are frequently a driver's license, a passport, a military ID, in some states, a student ID. In some states, you can't vote with a student ID, but you can vote with a gun license like Texas and Tennessee. Right. Um, yeah. It varies. Every state has usually between like seven to nine on average different types of IDs that you're allowed to vote with. The problem is that 21 million people in this country don't have government issued photo ID, just 21 million eligible voters in this country. And so if they live in a state that has voter ID laws, they can't vote. Right. So you mentioned gerrymandering and you've mentioned the voter ID laws. So um, one of the things that's on a lot of people's mind right now is gerrymandering, mm -hmm. right? Because it kind of screwed us for, you know, a long time to come. Right. And so I've talked to a lot of people who lead organizations that focus on voting and are focusing on restoring voting rights. Right. Mm -hmm. And they all kind of do something similar. They're trying to either overturn these laws or, you know, redraw maps. And I think there's a big case in Pennsylvania right now. But the thing is, is that spread the vote is different. And, and, and that's why I like your organization. It deals with what we have right now, right? As opposed to assuming that a lot of these laws and the maps are going to be redrawn. So how is spread the vote different from a lot of these voting organizations? Uh, so, you know, I, I am not a patient person, um, which <laughs> anyone on Twitter can tell you. Um, and I'm, you know, there are a lot of organizations, Brennan Center, uh, NAACP, LDF, ACLU, who are doing an incredible job of seeking judicial and legislative remedies to unjust electoral laws, whether it's voter ID laws, whether it's 
you know, AVR in some cases, or I uh, sorry, automatic voter registration, or or gerrymandering, etc. They're all going to the courts, um, and then there are a lot of groups that are seeking you know political remedies by trying to lobby, by trying to endorse politicians who you know might get into office and and change laws, etc. And I think that's all great. But a one thing that we've seen in states like Texas, where their voter ID law was struck down five times and they still passed a new one. Um, and one thing wow. that we've seen by people in power is that the reason they pass these laws is because they need them to stay in power. Right. Um, and as right. long as there are, as that, as long as they're able to prevent people from actually going to the polls in the first place, and there's not a lot we can do to change those laws. Um, and it's, you know, if there's one thing I learned in law school, I was like, oh, these lawsuits take forever. Like, I'm not down with that. I'm not writing memos for 15 years in the hopes that maybe one day a thing will happen. That is for a much more patient person. So for me, I'm very much about what's the most practical, pragmatic thing I can do that will actually make a measurable impact on someone's life uh, and on whatever the end goal is, which in this case is reaching, I'm, you know, having an impact at the polls and allowing people's voices to be heard at the polls who are being excluded purposefully. For me, it was just pretty obvious, well, we have voter ID laws we need people to be able to vote. Let's just get them IDs. <laughs> and so yeah. that, we're very much about that practical. And then what we discovered very quickly when we started Spread the Vote was that, you know, yes, people need IDs to vote. But one thing that I didn't understand until I started doing this work, you know, I've had a passport since I was an infant. I got a military ID when I was 10 yes. and a driver's license when I was 16. Right? I've never not had photo ID. Yeah. And so it didn't even occur to me all of the things that I do with that ID that you can't like for instance get a legal job <laughs> like think about every time yes. you get a job and you have to show your ID and a social security card or this that or whatever right you can't work um, if you have an ID you can't start a bank account you can't run a car you can't get medical care in many places we are now we've learned it's tragic but there are homeless shelters that won't let you sleep there if you don't wow. have ID there are food banks that won't give you food if you don't have ID really y- yeah yeah uh, if you really want to hear me go on a rant, ask me about that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, one wow. thing that we discovered is we were talking to people and they were like, yeah, you know, I don't know if voting's important, but I need food and a place to sleep. I need to feed my right. children. You know, I need to have a job and I can't do any of that because it's really hard to get an ID. It is post 9-11 there, you know, the entire country passed very, very, very difficult laws um, to make it harder and harder to get an ID. And it's also expensive. Um, and if you have an ID, you can't work, so expense matters. And so we you know, realized really quickly that by getting people IDs, not only can we then make sure they are you know, registered to vote, educate on the issues and get them to the polls, but we can help them change their lives, which is something that we see over and over with people who get IDs and they get jobs, they get housing, you know, like that is the key. You know, I've had several people say to me, without an ID, I'm not a person. And it's true. In a developed yeah. country, if you have an yeah. ID, you're not a person. When you have that personhood, then all of a sudden you have the space to be like, oh, you know what? I do want to make my voice heard at the polls, you know, like I do want yeah. to, but I do find that important. And now I can think about it because now I have, you know, food in my belly or whatever. So the ID issue is, is huge, but for us, it's all about one person at a time. And how do we help that one person get the ID they need that's going to change their lives and that's going to make their voices heard at the polls? Yeah, you know, I have a story for you because, and you know, until I started researching for this interview and I started just researching the voter ID laws in general, I hadn't realized that having an ID 
was a privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And so the story that I have, so we're, we're going on a vacation soon and I have a passport like you, you do. Mm-hmm. And my husband has a passport and we needed a passport for our son. So just within the past month, I've probably gone to the passport office here in Seattle mm-hmm. Um, a couple of times or I guess four times, right? (laughs) You know, it it was actually fine. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. So you need birth certificates, you need driver's licenses and, you know, possibly a social security card or something, you know, proof of address. So my family, because we are, I just want to say, I think most of the listeners know that I'm black, but still I have a certain amount of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. We have our birth certificates in a safe. We have our passports in a safe and all of our important documents are, you know, safely away somewhere. And whenever I need something, I just take them out and I, you know, drive my car. Yep. I have transportation yep. and, you know, yep. they say it's going to cost you a hundred dollars. It's going to cost you $150. And if you need it expedited, you know, oh, it's going to cost you three, it's, so it's going to cost you $300, <laughs> right? $300. Yep. Right. And then I, so I was, I was in the passport line the other day, you know, with my son, cause you have to take the child with you. And my husband was there and, you know, the, they have the person walking down the line to make sure you have all of your papers. And he sees me and my, you know, nice white husband <laughs> and our nice, you know, you know, organized papers. And, you know, he goes, oh, do you have everything you need, ma'am? And it's like, yes. He goes, oh, have, have a great day. The woman behind me is, you know, she has an accent and she needed the exact same thing that I did. Okay. She had a child with her that she needed a passport for. When this man started to talk to her, sorry, I'm getting emotional, his demeanor and his and his tone completely changed. And I just thought she needs the exact same thing that I need. What is it about me and what is it about her that that's making this experience much more difficult for her? Yeah. Right. And it just it was that moment that made me realize, yeah. you know, like all of these different, you know, hierarchies of privilege and all these different hierarchies of, yep. you know, right. That make it really difficult for, for for people to get ID. And this should be something that's really simple. And it should be something that is inexpensive, if not free. Well, yeah, it should be free. And a lot of people ask me, what about a national ID card? And I'm like, if I thought we had a government, a federal government, a state government or any county government that was capable of like making that happen. Yeah, but we don't like we do not. And we, and so we need to like this dispense of this idea that somehow the United States government is going to like magically figure out how to give every person in the country a free ID. They're never going to do that. And it's, and it's, right. it's, it's a thing you have to have. And, it, you know, one of the big things for us is that when we're, you know, we pair a volunteer or two with a voter and they go through them with them through the whole process. So they get to know this one person and they're not being passed off to a lot of different volunteers. It's their one person. And then that person takes them to vital records or the social security administration or the DMV or whatever, and walks them through the whole process, which is so important because they do, people get treated horribly, you know, and, and I, always grew up being very aware of the fact that like, yeah, you're black and female in America, but also like your parents went to college and your name is Kelly and you talk like a white girl from Seattle in the nineties. Cause that's where you grew up. <laughs> and, and you, you have, you know, you're, you're able to walk into an office with a certain amount of confidence because you have everything you need and always have in order to get X thing. Um, and even so, I still walk into buildings and like terrified of like security guards or cops or whatever, because I know people are just looking at me. But for the people we're working with who are, you know, often homeless, 
often ex-felons. I'm often have, you know, had maybe a drug or alcohol problem, are disabled in many different types of ways. You know, right. are people who are young and of color, are people who are used to anyone who represents, you know, the man or the system treating them like they're less than human. The idea of walking into one of these offices is terrifying, you know? Yeah. Um, and we always like, we will be with you through this whole thing because I know how that feels and I don't ever want anyone to feel like we're sending them into the gauntlet alone or that we're sending them to be abused alone. And I also don't ever want anyone walking in and to have to experience that because someone thinks that they have permission to treat them that way. Um, because it is, it's, it's people are, you get treated a certain way for long enough and you start to expect it, A, and you start to believe it. Um, and, yeah. and then when you don't have, you know, this, little tiny square inch of paper that you need to prove you're a legal human who's allowed to exist, your life is a lot harder than people understand. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. So I was reading through some of the stories on your site and I think, you know, you do have people who for some reason have never had a birth certificate, mm -hmm. right. Or, you know, people who are not able-bodied or, you know, they're one man, I think Marvin was in a wheelchair yeah. And but you said that, like you said earlier, there are 21 million people who don't have ID, and these are eligible voters, right? Yeah, there's actually a lot more. But when you're just looking at eligible voters, 21 million is about 11 percent of the country. That's insane. And so how <laughs> you have a big job ahead of you? How how do you tackle each of these cases? You know, one by one. I mean. How? How do you do this? Uh, well, I wake up every morning and I say, all right, 21 million, but we're <laughs> going to do it one at a time. Um, and so what we have done, you know, when we first started, we, I, I after the election, it's been pretty obvious to me that voter ID laws had had a massive impact, not just on the national election, I'm, but on local elections. And, and, you know, that's one thing we focus on really heavily is down battle, battle ballot elections that have very small margins of victories. And that also directly impact the lives of the people we're working with, right? Like city council, the sheriff, the mayor, the board of supervisors, those are the people who really run your life. Um, you know, like we work with a, yes, a shelter Jesus. in Virginia where um, the city council had just decided, you know, a little bit before we started working with them to make it a year round shelter instead of just an emergency shelter. Like that directly and incredibly impacts the people we're working with. And city council elections, nobody votes for those, right? They have very low margins of right. victories. And so it was really obvious that when you're preventing these people from voting, these you know specific demographics, which whose rights are always being suppressed in a million different ways, people of color, people who are low income, elderly who are low income, young people, especially college age young people who are either not in college or in states where you can't vote with your student ID, even students who are in college, you know, people who are homeless who are, are disabled in some way, etc. And so, you know, we spent a long time talking to a lot of experts around the country who are very, very generous with their time and say, hey, I want, you know, I want to solve this problem. I want to figure out how. And I like started with one idea and everyone was like, that's ridiculous. It's never going to work. Here are the 52 reasons why. And I'd be like, all right. And I do some more research, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and then keep going. And then they'd be like, yeah, you're getting warmer. And then one day I like had an idea and they're like, oh, actually, no one's done that. That's a great idea. And so I was like, good, I'm going with that. And then we pivoted 52 more times once we got on the ground until we found what worked. And what we realized are a couple of things. 
A, <laughs> 21 million people is a lot. Um, yes. And 20 <laughs> states that have stood out of like photo ID states is a lot. And it's really hard to get an ID. You know, it takes us on average three to four weeks. Sometimes we get lucky and it's less than that. Oftentimes it's a lot more than that. It costs us an average of $40, but again, sometimes much less, often much more. And it's a very personal process, right? Like you're A, asking someone to admit that they don't have a thing that they know they need to have. Um, and then you need all their personal information. Where were you born? Who are your parents? What's your social security number? <laughs> you know, tell me your whole life story. And it's a very personal thing that takes a very long time to do. And so we realized this has to be neighbors helping neighbors for a variety of reasons. And so we build local community chapters where people are helping people in their communities. And we, we partner, we have this great partnership with Indivisible, which is amazing Oregon. And I love them. And we work with a lot of Indivisible chapters. We work with some, you know, like Women's March Huddles and Together We Will groups are just people who have come together in the community and say, we want to help, you know, people in our community, A, just be able to live better lives and thus, you know, improve our community along with us, but also because they're going to make an impact at the polls. And then we train them on everything that they need to know and how to get IDs. And we have this whole instructional library and we do trainings and have, you know, webinar series, et cetera, have a legal team and everything to help with advice. We cover all the fees, um, which can be expensive or every yeah. once in a while we get lucky and we're like, yes, 20 bucks. Nice. <laughs> and then we partner with local service organizations. So homeless shelters, free clinics, legal clinics, churches, food banks, the types of places where if you don't have an ID or it's very likely that you're going to to encounter one of the or more of these types of services. And then once we connect with a voter who needs an ID, they get assigned to two volunteers who help them do the whole process. And then we're building out these chapters throughout each state and then building state to state as our you know fundraising and budget allows. So we're in Georgia, Virginia, Tennessee. I'm actually speaking to you from Florida right now. Where we, <laughs> I'm setting up our operations here. And then next month, I'll be heading to Texas and launching us there. Yeah. And the goal is to have chapters in every community and every state where people are working with people in their own communities to help them change their lives, change their communities and change the ballots. But so I'm, I'm going to ask you a, a somewhat of a difficult question, I guess. You know, people often who don't have access to an ID, you know, they're, they're living on the margins. Okay. They've got some other other things they have to worry about, like where they're going to live yeah. or escaping a domestic, you know, abuse yes. situation or yes. something. And but these are also eligible voters. And you make another really good point about the fact that being able to vote in their local elections is is really important mm-hmm. because they can vote for changes that would directly affect mm-hmm. their lives, right? How do you reconcile the idea that these people have bigger worries, like where their next meal is coming from, possibly, or where they're going to sleep, with the fact that they are now eligible to vote? I mean, because your organization is called Spread the Vote, and I think that was your initial objective. Is your expectation to that this effort will translate into votes always? So, well, so, you know, like I said in the beginning, one of the things that we learned very quickly is how IDs can change lives. And I think you can see that in the stories on our, our website. And so what we what we do um, and what we did in the last election, which was our very first election um, and we'll do in midterms is, you know, we're working to get people IDs that will change their lives, that will allow them to get the jobs, the shelter, the medical care, all of the things that they are able to get once they have ID. Because A, it's the humane and ethical thing to do and it's important, but also because people can't think about voting or much less likely to think about voting when they don't have the basics that they need for their lives. So that is our first objective. And that's why we get people, some states offer these little 
in heavy quotation marks, free voter IDs that are in every state except Virginia, almost impossible to get. And you could also not do anything with them but vote. So they're ridiculous. Um, so we oh, we yeah. don't get those because that does not help anybody with their lives. We get them government-issued state IDs. Um, usually there's a non-driver's right. license state ID. Um, that For most people, it varies. We get them those IDs that they can use for their whole lives uh, or until they expire. <laughs> then we'll help them renew it if yeah. they need help. Um, but that's what, that's what helps them then access the other things that they need for their lives. When we do that, we also make sure they're registered to vote. And then when an election comes around, we do a couple of things. You know, one of the things that we try to make sure that we do while we're even working with them is like focusing a on just how what can we do to help you get this ID because you need it for your life and then talking to them about okay can we register you to vote let's talk about this um you know and and once you've built a relationship with someone and you're helping them get something they need then they're a lot more receptive to hearing about like oh okay talk to me about voting and we yeah. saw you know last year in in November we were in Virginia and I'm it was great because a lot of people we got IDs for they're like yeah I want to vote let's go right now you know and it was just like because they finally have yeah, access yeah, yeah. to this thing and and I think you know there's all these stereotypes about young people or poor people or people of color who are apathetic it's like no like people have been trying to tell all of those groups of people forever that their vote doesn't matter but they know it does and most people really want their voice to yeah. be heard it's just terrifying for a lot of different reasons so we make sure that they're registered to vote and then when it gets close to an election we do a couple of things so we're right now building out our 2018 election guides which are two-parters there's one part in which we just have, you know, how do you vote? This is what your ballot and your district looks like. This is what happens when you walk into a polling place. This is how you fill it out. Except just very, you know, a lot of the people we work with have either never voted before or it's been like decades. And so it's just a very mm -hmm. simple and ballots. I mean, I live in Los Angeles and our, our ballots are, are so big that in November I had to set aside four hours and a bottle of wine just to like make my way wow. through it to figure <laughs> out what to do. And then my mother at some point said, I give up. Just tell me what to vote for. I refuse. Like, it's, it's really confusing. And there's a lot. There's like a million measures and all these things. So partially it's how do you even vote? And then the other half is, okay, this is every candidate and issue that's up in your district for this election. And here are, you know, for every candidate, what we're doing or for every office is breaking down. Here are the five ways that what this person does actually affects your life. So this is what the Board of Supervisors actually does and why it matters. That's this is point, what yeah. the county clerk, you know, whatever, so that they can have a real sense because we don't teach civics and nobody has any idea what most of these people do. Yeah. So we want them to have a really clear idea of this is what they do. And then one of the things that our data science team is building out is we are looking at what are the average margins of victory for, you know, the last couple of elections, we're still figuring out the best way to pull the algorithm. But, you know, for the last few elections, what's the average margin of victory for each of these local elections so that we can tell them, you know what, the sheriff has, you know, won by an average of 36 votes for the last three elections so that they can get that for most of, you know, most towns, most most elections, these local elections have pretty small margins of victory. So your voice really does matter. And then, you know, explaining here are all of the ballot measures that are up. And this is what they mean in plain English. And we're a 501c3. We never ask anyone their party. We don't endorse candidates. We just want people to understand in plain English this is actually what this means. And this is what this person says their education policy is or whatever, so that they're able to right. have an educated voice. And some of our chapters are already very excited about, you know, putting on little workshops or whatever. Like we're going to, you know, a big, big thing for us is if we're going to help you get the ID you need to vote, then we want to make sure that A, you 
you are walking in feeling confident and educated. And then the second part is we then make sure that we get them to the polls. And, you know, are we going to have a 100% voting rate? No, of course not. But I, you know what we saw last year when it was our first election, which is a, a few chapters, and I think what we'll see this year is that there's such strong motivation. First of all, our volunteers are amazing. Like these are amazing people who are, you know, none of them are doing this professionally, but they're yeah. taking weeks and months out of their lives to help a complete stranger get an ID and what is a very complicated process. And they're always sending me very complicated legal questions and this and that, right? They're incredible. And they're also so enthusiastic. I thought we were going to have to have a rights to the poll program, our polls program last November. And I sent out like an email to the volunteers and they're like, nope, already got it. I'm taking Carlton on X date or whatever. Like they're so excited to get them to the polls <laughs> that like the last thing I have to worry about is getting them to the polls because they are on it. You know, and, and our goal is that if we can set people up for success as much as possible, if we can get them the ideas they need for their lives, we can make sure that they know why their voice matters, why they need to vote and feel confident about it, then I think we're going to see election over election, the rates and percentages of our voters go up as to who goes to the polls. And, you know, we'll, we'll be able to see that taking that kind of time and care actually does make a difference. You know, I'm just listening to you, Kat, and this is huge. This is a huge, huge, impressive, but huge effort. And I'm tired. I'm tired. Just thinking about it. <laughs> so I really am. I, um, so what can people do who live outside of these states? How can they help? If you live outside of Virginia, God, I forgot where we Florida. are. Florida, Georgia, <laughs> Tennessee, or Texas. Then two things. Definitely go to spreadthevote.org backslash donate and give us a couple bucks. Thank you. Um, but also go to rockthevote.org. They have an amazing new thing, website thing. I don't know what it's called. Uh, it's not software. <laughs> App, maybe. Is it an app? Yeah. Is that a website? <laughs> sure. What is on an app? Uh, but a thing where you can go onto their website, look up your state and look at what type of voting issues are there in your state. And no matter where you live, there are issues. I live in California. We have very low voter turnout. We have low voter registration, right? Like we have a lot of issues in LA as far as like getting people to the polls. You know, there are states that are working on automatic voter registration. There are states that are working on, you know, all sorts of different issues. Um, there are states that have voter ID laws where we aren't, aren't active yet, but where there are things you can do. So if you don't live in one of those five states, go to Rock the Vote, find an issue in your state, and then get involved. You know, get involved in your indivisible chapter. There's, I have found, and it's so bonkers, <laughs> I'm, most of the indivisible chapters that I work with already have like a voting rights committee. And it's amazing because they're like, oh, we already care about this issue or they like can't wait to get started. So find an indivisible with a, with a voting rights committee in your area or start one, you know, and then stay tuned, sign up for our newsletter on spreadthevote.org. And if you live in a voter ID state, when we do get there, then you can volunteer with us. And if you live in one of those five states, go to spreadthevote.org and we have a list of each state. And on each state, there are ways to get in touch with the local chapters. So for instance, if you live in Richmond, Virginia, we have an awesome chapter down there and you can get involved. If you live in a place where there's not a chapter and you'd like to help start one, you can email me. And we are right now in the process of running and scheduling trainings in Florida and then starting next month in Texas. And we'll be posting those new training dates on the website as well as tweeting them out from at Spread the Vote US. And we're on Facebook, Spread the Vote US. And so then you can, you know, come to a training, get involved with a chapter. You know, we definitely 
we need volunteers because again, there's 21 million people. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be doing this until the day I die. Uh, and if I'm lucky, I'll get through like 10 million. Um, and I'm, you know, so we definitely need volunteers. Um, and the work that you're doing, it's incredible because you really are getting to help change someone's life yeah. who's right there in your community. It's amazing. And you can also always donate at spreadthevote.org backslash donate. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to say I'm really, really excited about what you're doing. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the phone with me. I really am. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I'm going to go sign up right now. Yay! I'll do that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Kat Kelvin, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Kat Kelvin. And if you'd like to help her organization, go to spreadthevote.org. That's spreadthevote.org. And if you'd like to support Electorat or continue the conversation, visit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash or follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash We'd love to hear from you. Keep up the good fight. <laughs>